Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So I teach, I, teach Old, I teach a number of classes, but one of them is Old Testament. I feel like I'm echoing a lot. Okay, yeah, um, and we're getting later in the semester where they're kind of realizing the Old Testament isn't what they thought it was. Um, we're going to read some scriptures from it. We're going to read actually a long portion of scripture from Hosea. And I want to read the whole thing, because it's got, it's got some words that even sound harsh, like punish. But if you get it in context of the whole Old Testament, it really changes its view. And what I'm after is, what we're doing in this class, because we're later into it, is I'm wanting to see that when you look at the Old Testament and New Testament together, there's a consistency about what is the big picture. Like, what, what is creation even about? What, what is all this about? What does even God get into this? I mean, why, why is he dealing with all this? Why do he bother? <clears throat> and uh, don't worry, we're not going to go over all that. <clears throat> but um, see where the red line is. I just want to refer to where it says Joshua and Judges. Um, to get the context of this, I need you to think of timelines. And I want you to realize that in Joshua and Judges, we're going to talk about Joshua and Judges. We're going to talk about mainly the time from, from after Joshua leads the people into the promised land, then all the way through the time of the Judges and through some kings. Okay, we're going to cover, but it's a long span of time. But the awkward thing with that is it looks like Samuel, first and second Samuel take longer than Judges. That's not the case. Because Joshua and Judges is like three centuries. And first and second Samuel aren't that long. Um, I also need to see at the lower part, it shows the three kings. There were only three kings of Israel when Israel was all united. It was Saul, the first king, followed by David, then followed by David's son, Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom got split. So the 10 tribes of Israel end up the northern tribes, a remnant tribe, or actually it was two tribes, is in the south with Judah. Okay? Um, I'm going to be referring to Hosea. And I actually want to read something from Hosea and Isaiah, and Isaiah. Hosea and Isaiah were actually at the same time. Hosea was mainly for the northern kingdom, Israel. <clears throat> Isaiah was for Judah. <clears throat> Years later, when they're getting ready for exile, was the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And, and there's a reason I'm picking those long spans, which I'll get to. But I'm also going to refer to Jeremiah and Ezekiel on this. But the whole idea is, about the time that Israel was taken over by the Assyrians, that was the time of Hosea and Isaiah, the time that Judah is taken over by Babylon, that was the time of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Make sense? Yeah, well, it's nice of you to nod, even if it didn't, because, <clears throat> because you don't want to get any stuck there. <clears throat> Joshua leads them into the Promised Land. And they get some victories, and they make some mistakes still, and they have losses, because <clears throat> they don't do well. <clears throat> Joshua dies before they're done pushing out the previous occupants. God isn't, isn't happy with the previous occupants. They have idol, idolatry, idol worship. Um, it, it helps if you remember some of this stuff. When God talks about idol worshipers and talks about people of different religions, it is not just about what their prayer closet's about. Always with idol worship came immense oppression 
and just flat out horrible things. I mean, horrific things since this is an open meeting on Sundays. There's stuff I talk about with my class, there's scriptures we read in a classroom with adults. I don't even know if I'll ever read in a Sunday because it's just some horrific, gruesome stuff that people get into and really lose their way when they're dealing with idols and false gods. Just before Joshua dies, one of the things he really makes it clear, clear to all the people is he says, don't make deals with the enemy you are to drive away. So the Canaanites, the people that are here that are worshiping these other gods and doing horrible practices, don't, don't make deals with them. You're supposed to push them out. Really big deal. Push them out. And then Joshua dies. And then they make deals. They don't push them out. They get a better idea. Well, why do we want to push these guys out? We're dominant. We're big. I know we'll do. We'll make a deal where instead of pushing them out, we'll just have them serve us. <clears throat> They'll do the grunt work. They'll be our servants. The exact same thing that God had told them before, even before Joshua, not to do. And what Joshua is, and in fact, Joshua said, because if you don't push them out and you make a deal with them, they're going to snare you. Because you may think you have a better plan. Oh, well, at least we'll get cheap labor. But you're going to get lured into serving their gods. It's going to happen. And sure enough, he died. They made the deals, and it happened. And so this graphical summary, so from Joshua until the time of Samuel getting Saul as the king, um, this is my graph. I'm going to have a sine wave. I never get to show sine waves anymore because I don't teach math anymore. Um, but this is a downward sine wave. Actually, there should be more humps, but it's the only one I could find online because there were actually, like there were 12 kings we know, or sorry, 12 judges that are specified in scripture. There may even been more. Uh, I want to be clear. When, when we say judges, it doesn't mean judges. Like in judges, we think of a lawyer in a court of law. The book of Judges, what they refer to as judges were more like military heroes. Okay, like if you remember the story of Gideon um, and such people like that, Othniel, is these were people that had, had uh, I don't know how to say it, military capabilities. And then they end up the rulers because of that. But the reason I want you to see that sine wave is it was a downward spiral, some say, but to me, spiral's a little misleading today, is going forward, this pattern gets repeated over and over again. The people start out, God's taking care of them. God provides for them. God is blessing them. And with the comfort and the blessing, they get distracted. They didn't push out the Canaanites. So they start thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have them serve? Hey, wouldn't it be cool? You know, they have some other ideas and thoughts. Let, let's embrace them all. We got, we got better ideas. They have some ideas. Oh, look, at these are cool ways to live. They're fun. And they turn away from God. And they start oppressing one another. And they start being violent. And it really goes bad. And then as it goes bad, they reap what they sow. Things go bad bigger, bigger time all the time. Then it gets really bad. They cry out to God, man, this is a mess. So God, in his mercy, raises up a judge, or think of it again as a hero. The hero, God uses that hero to restore them back. God blesses them again. He stops the cursing. They get back, and they serve God. You know, And, and sometimes it lasts as long as 40 years. I think the longest time there was even an 80-year period where they, they kind of stayed true with God. But eventually, they get comfortable. God takes care of them. They enjoy his blessing, but they start giving credit for the blessing to other gods, and they fall back down again. And they go even worse than they were before. And then they cry out to God, and God hears their voice, and God sends them in a hero, and we do the whole cycle again. Okay, so that just happens over and over again. Regular pattern. 
Um, sometimes I, we have experienced where we have that in our lives. You know, God's taking care of us, we get comfortable, we get lackadaisical, and then we kind of fall down, and then we repent. I guess I just want to throw this out is, that was never God's plan. We don't have to live cycle. We, we actually don't have to live this kind of life. They didn't have to live this kind of life. Um, this message I'm talking about, I'm going to bring up some things that are kind of controversial to a few of my friends. And I'll grant you where I'm going with this. People have gone to some extreme weirdness. But I can't deny this is in the scripture. And I'm saying this because my, my friends they tend to be of a, a almost a predestination bent. Well, God's in control. You know, he doesn't, God doesn't wait on man. God, God's not worried about our choices. He's bigger than that. Well, I always think of how times Jesus said things like, Jerusalem, I would take care of you like a, a mother hen with her chicks, but you would have none other. Well, if he's in control and he says this is what he wanted, and they said, but you would have none of it, it kind of sounds to me like God gives us a choice. With Israel, he constantly says this. This is what I would like, but this is what you're choosing. Okay, makes sense? Yes. Okay, different different commentators had a different idea of, of timeline here, but it's over three centuries. Okay, I want you to get a feel for this. The time of this downward sine wave is longer than our country's been around. Okay? Because it's because we can read this stuff in a few chapters, but just remember, this happens for a long period of time. <clears throat> After that time, God raises up Samuel, and it does make things better, because he's an amazing prophet. The people, God even said, I would not have you have a king, because I would be your king. You can have me for your king. But the people are insistent. They want a king like the other nations. And God even predicted that in the, in the earlier books. He said, and when you fight me and decide to go for a king, this is how you'll do it. Well, they get Saul as a king. And Saul starts out really golden while he's humble. And then it goes south quickly. And it goes south bad. So Saul gets replaced by David. Big step up with David. But anybody aware that David wasn't perfect? Yeah, like, 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 God's pretty clear that adultery is wrong. And that's where David went. Here's another one. Yay, murder's wrong. That's where David went. Um, God said, never count armies, because I want you to trust in me, not your armies. And David counts the army. So even he's not perfect, but it was a big step up. And then we get Solomon. And Solomon starts out golden. Man, he starts out humble, asks God for wisdom, doesn't ask for riches. And, and God says, that's awesome, I'm going to give it to you, I'll even bless you with riches. But the interesting thing with Solomon is in Deuteronomy and other places, God said, I would rather be your king, but when you insist on having one, watch out for this. And even Joshua told the people this. And it said, if you have a human king, have a king that does not serve false gods, does not forget me and my law, because if he forgets me and my law, he'll get puffed up. And I want him to be humble and realize, even though he's king, he's no better than anyone else. Because okay? usually when oppression starts, it's because somebody thinks they're better than someone else. Don't forget the word. Do not marry women who serve false gods. Do not marry foreign women because they serve false gods. Why? Because you will forget me and be led astray and start serving false gods, and you'll forget about me. 
Do not amass great wealth. Says, do not amass large number of horses, and then specifically says, and don't go get horses from Egypt. I don't want you thinking go back there. Egypt was known for it. They were proud of their horses and chariots. I don't want you trusting in chariots and horses, and I don't want you having dealings with Egypt, so don't do that. Okay, what did Solomon do? <clears throat> Started out golden. Didn't take long, latter life. He, he, he went ahead and served false gods. <clears throat> he forgot the humility part. When you read that, like in um, Second Chronicles, you read about the Queen of Sheba coming. Not a humble guy. He takes a ridiculous amount of foreign wives. I mean, it's almost insane. I mean, you look at it and go, did he pay someone to inflate these numbers to sound macho? I mean, I don't know how a dude would ever deal with that many women. Um, I, I barely deal with one. Um, but he marries all these foreign women with a whole bunch of false gods, and he forgets about God and does all the detestable things. Okay, and some very detestable acts of worship. Okay, God blessed him with some wealth, but then he went on and went crazy overboard. He taxed the people heavily to amass more wealth. So even though God said, I would bless you with wealth, he wasn't content with the blessing. He went and amassed a crazy amount more. And then what's really amazing to me is he amassed horses, and he specifically says, and he sent people to Egypt to get a whole bunch of horses. I mean, you couldn't, I mean, you really, the, he checked every box. Is everybody clear on this? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so this is that king. Because of this, the kingdom gets split. God says, because he gets so upset with, with Solomon and with all the detestable things and all the bad things going on all throughout the kingdom, he says, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, I'll give you a remnant. So I'm going to give you the two tribes in the south, but the ten tribes in the north, you don't keep. And so God splits the kingdom. Make sense? Okay. So, right, another graphical side wave. <clears throat> the southern kingdom is Judah. It's actually, I guess you'd say, the better kingdom of the two, because Israel has nothing but bad kings. Judah gets a mix. Some bad kings followed by some good kings, and then he also has some kings that are kind of half and half. So, for a period of 360 years from when Solomon went downhill, so for about 360 years, Solomon goes downhill, and we end up with this trend. Kind of familiar with Judges, right? And we're doing the same song and dance. Um, after, after the kingdom split, it takes 345 years of Israel having a really bad king, a good king, and they, and they, they restore better, or they get better, but they don't fully ever get back to the top. It's like, well, they still left the high places. There's still some things going on. Then you have another bad king, and it goes bad. And then it gets back. So it's this whole downward motion for Judah. Whoops. Okay, the graph of Israel is a little shorter, because it's only about 210 years, because Israel doesn't last as long as Judah. And this graph isn't even a sine wave. It's just bad news. Okay, it just it is not going well. And that's how we get into Hosea. And the whole, the whole message of Hosea centers around, Hosea is told to marry an adulterous woman. He's told, marry a prostitute. And he's even told, she's not going to be faithful, but you're still going to love her. I mean, if they were to come to counseling, if Hosea was your friend, you'd say, dude, you've got a real problem with enablement. You are codependent, and this is bad news. You need to move on. I mean, it just, it would not be helpful. Okay? <clears throat> 
And the reason he has that is because God wants it clear that he sees Israel as a woman who spends what God gives her on other men, on false gods. And it leads to oppression of Mary. In fact, he even flat out um, details it later on in, in the book. Like, no, I, I'm mad at you because you are violent. You oppress the poor. You don't take care of I mean, you are just, you're doing bad stuff. And it's linked to because you're serving false gods. Okay? So Hosea is prophesying at the time that Israel's about to be taken over by the Assyrians to explain it. And this is the part that sometimes we get uncomfortable with. I've heard that guy say, when you talk about us being the bride and you talk about God's love for us, you sound like God's, God's this weak, forlorn lover. Well, I think the problem is how we define weak. But does he sound like a forlorn lover? Well, he does. But it's the scripture. I, I, don't, I don't know how I can take someone's opinion over it. I mean, let's, let's look at this. And again, this is, this is in chapter 2, starting with verse 6, but God's already made the point. I'm not happy here because she's treating it like these false gods are supplying her, and I'm the one supplying her. Okay? She's prostituting, Israel's prostituting herself with other boyfriends, and I want to be her husband. Okay? The context. He says, for this reason I will fence her, he's talking about Israel, in, in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with the wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them and not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. I mean, Israel, I mean, I remember, Israel is unfaithful during the time of Judges for three centuries. Unfaithful during the kings. He's unfaithful. Israel is unfaithful during the split time, another 200 years. I mean, if you include it, to, if you go all the way back to when Moses started things and they were in the wilderness, because in the wilderness they weren't exactly faithful either, you approach seven centuries of this nonsense, of this falling down and God restoring, falling down, God restoring. Okay? I want us to feel for that. I mean, seven centuries ago would have been in the 1300s. Okay? I mean, back when, okay, I made, I made the point. She doesn't realize it is I who gave her everything she has. The grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. If you're dating someone and you buy her a car, how would you feel if, great, she's excited about the car, and so she goes and picks up two boyfriends and heads off to Vegas with them. You gave her a ring. Awesome. Hey, while we're in Vegas, let's hawk my ring and we can party. Okay? So when you give gifts to a girl, you don't expect her to go spend all that on other guys. In fact, you probably tend to think it's, it's a valid reason not to be dating that girl. I'm not going to keep buying her rings, right? Okay. <clears throat> but now I will take it back, the ripened grain and new wine I'll generous, I generously provided with each heart of the season. I'll take away the woolen and linen cloth. I gave her for covering her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I'll destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat fruit. God loves me, and he does things in love. 
And sometimes he reveals me reality, and sometimes it's not painless. It's like, okay, she is thinking these false gods are doing all this. She doesn't seem to wake up. Well, I'll take him away. That way she'll catch on. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to the images of all, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. It does sound kind of like a jilted lover. Because they're saying, hey, for centuries, I've loved you and taken care of you, and you're still going with the other guys. <clears throat> but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert, speak tenderly to her care. I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into the gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. That also shows you that God decides to have a selective memory. Because if you read about how she came out of Egypt, there was this whole golden calf thing that went on, and there was a number of other stuff that happened. So he even has selective memory here. <clears throat> when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never mention them again. Um, some translations will say, you will call me husband instead of Baal. It's a play on words. It is the Jewish word for master, Boli, and the Jewish word for Baal are almost the same word. And in some places, they are the same word. And that's why I put in there, it's Boli and Ebolim. He's kind of making a play on words, saying, I'm not even going to have you call me master, because it sounds too much like the word Baal. I'm going to have you call me husband. <clears throat> what I want to see the feel for here is, for centuries, God is patient. Because I, I don't know if it happens to you guys, um, but at times I have, I have read out of context. And there's a lot of scriptures that are like, man, God's so harsh here. And that's even one of the effects my students have had is, when they read that, they're going, well, he seems harsh. Yeah, until you realize, but wait a minute, he's had centuries of nonsense. It is centuries of, I provided for you, I, I, I took care of you. Because it wasn't like he said, it's performance-based, you act wonderful and I'll bless you. He blessed them from the start. And then they chose to spend the blessing on stuff that poisoned them. He blessed them from the start, and they chose to expend it with other lovers. Everybody get that? Because yeah. it wasn't like they were a pure, holy, and noble race and doing awesome. I mean, you know... I mean, you can look at the forefathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you look at their wives. I don't know anybody that would teach a class on marriage relationship and use any of those people for an example, okay? I mean, they're manipulative all the time. They raise kids horribly. They show favoritism with kids. I mean, Isaac and Rebecca alone are manipulating and gaming each other because each one favors a different son. I mean, it's just a mess. Uh, the whole thing about sibling rivalry with Joseph and all his kids, and even his wives, Rachel and Leah, I mean, it just... There's no relational lesson for that other than to say, here's examples of how not to do it. Okay? <clears throat> okay, so that's Hosea talking about Israel. <clears throat> Isaiah uh, prophesied to Judah. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer be remembered for the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of Heaven's army is his name. He is your redeemer. And that's actually similar to the word for kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer, like in the book of Ruth, is Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, which meant that Ruth as the widow, he actually had the right and he exercised it to marry her and redeem her. 
So he is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. So that's in Isaiah 54. Um, I knew I wouldn't have time for all the scriptures, but Jeremiah uses the same analogy. He uses analogies of, again, jilted lover that we're supposed to be betrothed to. Ezekiel, and, and Ezekiel, this is, Ezekiel comes at the time that it's gone so far that Judah's going into its 70-year exile. And even there, you think about it, they're unfaithful, well, for, by the time you reach Judah, they're actually unfaithful for, like, almost nine centuries, and they're exiled 70 years. I mean, even that's pretty light when you go, okay, blow it for, blow it for 900 years, and then I have a 70-year exile. And even that, he said, is I'm not giving up on you. I'm giving you the exile so you'll repent and come back to me. <clears throat> okay, Ezekiel uh, 16. He says, not only are you a prostitute, but you're a prostitute like no other. Because usually a prostitute gets money for her favors. You're a prostitute and you pay the guy, you pay the John for your favors. It's like you're, you're even an unheard of because you're paying your false lovers to come destroy you. Okay, somebody getting that the flow? Okay, because when we say this in the New Testament, I, I like it clear that it isn't just New Testament. We start out talking about what is the whole purpose? Why did God do all this? Why, why does he do Genesis the way he does? In Genesis 1, we had a thing. Okay, God made humankind. He made them in their image, male and female. Cool, he made Adam and Eve in their image. He made humankind. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, he decides to go more detailed in the narrative. And then we find out he didn't make them at the same time. Okay? He has Adam, and he goes through this weird thing where he puts Adam to sleep. So he didn't make Eve right away. And I'm thinking, well, why? I mean, he puts Adam to sleep and then pulls out of him, has to cut him open, and pulls out of him Eve. The making of Eve comes from within Adam. I, I mean, I don't read I don't read that he did that with the cattle. You know, like he only had bulls, and he put the bulls to sleep and had to pull cows out of the bulls. You don't see that story for anything else. And God always has his reasons. Adam is super thrilled to see Eve. And he says, here is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The natural Adam had Eve taken out of him. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's the way it starts. All through this stuff of Israel, all through the history of the Old Testament, you have not only the story of the weakness of man, but you have the heart of God as a pursuer. You have the heart of a God who's pursuing his wife. He's pursuing the one he's engaged to. In the New Testament, <clears throat> I mean, before this, John, you know, John the Baptist, he refers to Jesus as the groomsman. When they're saying, hey, we're losing followers to Jesus, he says, hey, I've told you from the start, I'm not the Messiah. And I am a friend of the groom, and I want to rejoice for the groom. In other words, he's saying, you followers, you belong to the groom. Jesus talks about himself as a groomsman. Um, so this is in Ephesians 5, 25 to 7. Christ also, I left out just the first phrase, because I want to emphasize this. Christ is also loved, no, Christ also loved the church, gave himself up to death for her, in order to make her holy, cleansing her with the baptismal water of the word. That's that word rhema, his declarations over her. 
is speaking of words of who they are of affirmation. I like to make that because it because Rhema is a personal, almost like pronouncement. It's a declaration. So he makes us pure by what he declares to us. <clears throat> so that's the water of the word, his declaration. Then he might present the church to himself a glorious bride. That glorious, radiant, shining, some, some translations say. Without spot or wrinkle or any other defect, but to be holy and unblemished. Okay, so who's the bride? Yeah, yeah, we are a bride. Okay, good. Here, here's the thing, and I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I have enough energy to make this come off what I'm saying it to. Trying to say to you. I don't know how many words I've missed, but hopefully Carla will let me know. <laughs> the cross is really important, okay? I, the cross is so important. But the cross isn't the ultimate, okay? God, when he looked through time, like Ephesians says, before the casting out of the cosmos, he decided, he made up his mind and choose, chose us to be seen as blameless and holy in his sight for his good pleasure. He did that whole thing with Adam and Eve to show us something. What is God getting out of this whole thing? What is the purpose of creation? Well, when you look at the very end of the book, you kind of get a feel for where this is going. So this is in Revelation 19. And I heard a sound like a roar of a great multitude, like the rushing of many waters, like a rumbling of thunder crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright, shining, and pure. For the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. The climatic thing in Revelation is a wedding feast. Next verse is, blessed are those who are invited as guests to the wedding feast. Awesome. But we're not just guests at the wedding feast. Okay? Right? Who are we at the wedding feast? Yeah, we're the brides. We're a spouse to Christ. The whole overall thing I get of this is, just like Eve was pulled out of Adam, Christ dies on the cross. And it is so important. Forgive sins, all that. Gets his side cut open, like Adam did. He's paying his bride price. I was talking to some people where they're getting talking about worth and saying, oh yeah, I know, but you know, we're just not worthy of God's love. That actually can't be true, because that isn't what Scripture says. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, he chose to die for us. He's no fool. He pays a bride price for a bride he wants. Oh, but he'll change his transformers. Sure he will. But we weren't changed and transformed before he paid the price. He paid the price for us because of who we are and who he sees us to be, not because of our behavior. So every time I hear someone say we're not worthy of it, they start listing behaviors. I agree with you. You are worthy because of behavior. Because you're saved by the faithfulness of Christ. Okay? I am of value because he decides value. And he just says, who you are, your value. Yes. He wants a bride. The whole reason he did this whole thing, the whole reason for the cosmos and everything, is he's looking ahead and seeing there's a wedding feast. 
And the reason I all dealt with this mess, the whole thing about the Old Testament, the whole thing about all the New Testament, it actually has never changed. I mean, we think of old and new, but God's plan hasn't really changed. He wants a bride. Um, the, the word uh, Gene Edwards uses is his counterpart. Adam needed to have his counterpart drawn out of himself. Jesus' counterpart, and he's the Logos, he's the Almighty, he's God, incarnate. His bride had to be drawn out of him. This is why our old nature doesn't mean anything. It's why God is not interested at all in manipulating you or correcting your sin. Because that whole nature of sin, that he killed that. He's not going to marry that. Make sense? <coughs> Sorry. Because <clears throat> when I've been thinking about this for the last three weeks, and, uh, and I know we're in crazy times, and they may get crazier. But it's just been so real to me lately, is if we can dwell on and realize we're the bride of Christ, no, I, I, I lose track of dates. I would say it's roughly, I don't know, 35, 36 years ago was when I first read a book called The Divine Romance. And when I read it, I felt compelled by the love of God, like I want to be pure and holy. Because that book really made it clear of, I get to be the bride of Christ. And that changes you, because you're going, you know what? I don't want mud on my dress, okay? I know it's weird for me to speak a dress, okay? I mean, I know I'm a fat old pasty white guy, <clears throat> but inside, I'm just a really hot bride, okay? <clears throat> Yes, you are. And I don't want my dress spotted or wrinkled. And I just, I think if we can meditate on this, if we can remember this is where we're headed, it kind of makes everything else really seem as trivial as it is because it changes the way I look at things. It changes, I understand joy. We've talked before about this is, unless you understand God is joyous with you and know how to have deep attachment relationships with him and each other, the spiritual disciplines do not work, okay? And I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen evidence of it through life. I've known guys that, man, they, they fast and pray for anybody I know, but they don't understand God's joy over them and they don't know how to have deep attached relationships with other people and honestly, all the fasting praying just made him get weirder, okay? God's joy is that his face lights up with us. You know, that's uh, one guy says that the word for joy in uh, Hebrew is almost related to a parent's face lighting up when they see their kid. God's face lights up over you. My joy is based on the fact that he has made it so I can have a clothing of fine, bright linen. I get to co-labor with him. You know, it's because it's, uh, it says... Fine linen is where is the righteous acts of the saints. I am his workmanship. I am his work of art. I am his great achievement. This is uh, Ephesians 2.10. I am his great achievement, his poema, made to do great works in him. I am made to co-labor with him. This is not a striving, I'm running heaven. It's saying that because I'm in him and I dwell with him and I focus on that, the work of art I've been created to be, I start lining up with it. And then together, he and I, we do great works. And I get to wear that. And so really, I, I didn't have much else except on the handout, because I, I can't help it. <clears throat> I have homework. Oh, yeah. I've done, that's right. I forgot. It's communion. Oh. Can you bring my up? Well, sorry. I forgot about that. Okay, so the homework is uh, all my classes end with lots of questions. Actually, my classes have a lot of questions. 
I would like you to dwell on this. Think what it means to be the bride of Christ. What is it God's doing? And then I ask some questions that are not easy questions. So on that sheet of paper are some, some questions that will take reflection and some take some time. Like we're supposed to, our strength is the joy of the Lord. One of the questions that leads me to always ask my students is, are there times that you're relying on strength that isn't the joy of the Lord? The fact that God lights up over you, the fact that he sees you as a bride, that's your source of strength. When are you tempted to use something else for a source of strength? You know, when negative emotions come, are you able to return to joy? Make sense? Okay, the questions are there, so I'm not gonna go over them. So that's the homework. Okay, I don't know how to do this transition. <clears throat> Jerry, come sing a song. <laughs> Okay, so I know the uh, I know the Last Supper was a form of of the Passover because just like just like to be part of the Isra to be an Israelite you had to celebrate Passover. That was the, that was when the wrath of God passed over. It was when the final judgment came on on uh, Egypt, and they sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel so that the curse of God, the plague of God would pass over them. It was also something they all had to do to show they identified as God's people, okay? But this I also want to include in that is we identify as God's people because he paid the bride price. Is all your worth, all your thoughts, all your opinions of worth mean nothing unless they line up with God's opinion. And God said, I died for you. That's how much you're worth to me is you're my bride and it cost me my blood, it cost me my back being whipped, it cost me death. Yes. That's my that's your value. And any other opinion of that, really your opinion then doesn't matter if it's different than that. And neither does anybody else's. Because he wanted this union, I didn't have time to get into it, but the whole idea of a man and a bride and groom becoming one. And I mean, even that thing with Adam and Eve, but well, so. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so op open up the little cup thing. Or what do you call it? The bread. The styrofoam. Um. Lord, we thank you that your bread was broken, your body was broken, that you are a bread, that you are the sacrificial lamb, that because of your death, we're, we're in your people. We are your bride. So we thank you for that, and we share it together and as a unified body in you. I can't get mine open. Talk among yourselves. Lord, your blood was spilt for us. We've been washed in your blood. We've been purchased by your blood. So we're, we're celebrating this as a people, that we as a people form your bride. And we as your people are grateful that you purchase this high price for us. And we even ask you as we drink it, Lord, you make it more real to us how valuable you hold your people. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.